Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to be continuing some of the thoughts we were working on last, last week. And uh, I'll somehow tie this into Africa Rise somehow. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. I wanted to emphasize the part where it says, but in these last, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He has spoken to us by his son. And we said last week, if you were here, it does not say he was speaking to us through what his son said or what his son taught, but his son himself is the message. Amen. Jesus is the message that the Father is speaking to us in this last day. And we mentioned last week how particularly this is referring to the suffering of Jesus. The unique thing about Jesus is his suffering. Not just that he lived, died, taught, not even that he died, but that he suffered. Isaiah 53 tells us that it was God's will for him to suffer. Amen. So the suffering it is, uh, is a picture of the great love that God has for us, the great price that was placed for, the re for redemption for our sins. And this is the message. John 1 tells us that if we believe in Jesus, uh, we, through that faith, become born again. Amen? Amen. To those to whom he, he came to his own, and his own received him not, but for as many as received him, for those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural will or the husband's will, but born of God. Hallelujah. So by faith, we become the children of God. Born not of flesh, but born of God. Amen? Amen? So this is the message. This is the message that God is giving to us in these last days. And he's not adding any more message to it. This is the message, period. That's why Jesus is preached by Paul. He says, I resolve to preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. Why? Because that's the message. That was the message that carried the early church. That is the message. If God himself were to like, physically manifest himself in some kind of glory, come down and preach to us, he would preach this message. My son. Amen? Can you say amen? amen? So this is the message. Amen? You know what's funny is that in the New Testament, in the early church, when the early church was, was, was born, we see in the book of Acts that this early church, they did not have a, a New Testament scripture like we have today. They didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have Galatians. They didn't have the book of Revelation. They, so they had to build their theology based off of the Old Testament plus the resurrected Christ, plus the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all they had. All right. Now, what is the message? The message is Jesus. But the tools that they have is the Old Testament, the risen Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So when they would preach, they built their theology by going through the Old Testament and finding where they saw Christ and preaching that message. They did not have John 3.16. They did not have Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. Amen? 
They only had all, so they had to go. So this is what we see sometimes, long preaching in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. You know, like Peter's long preaching about the, started in the, the book of, of the prophet Joel. And then he goes through all the thing. And then all of a sudden after he's preaching, voila. That's my French, uh, madame. <laughs> eh? Voila. Jesus. Uh, repent and turn to God for your sins and your sins will be washed away in the name of, of Jesus, calling on his name. Amen? The same thing in the book of uh, Stephen's uh, preaching in Acts chapter 7. He started our fathers, in the, our forefathers in, 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 were slaves in Egypt. God brought them out. He goes through all the history and then all of a sudden, voila, there he is. My French is on a roll today. Comme si, comme ça. Yeah. I'll explain that one to you later. Come on, somebody. Yeah. In the book of Acts chapter 13, all right, Paul, the apostle Paul comes to Antioch. And he, he, he's invited to the synagogue to come and preach. And he stands up and he preaches from the Old Testament. Da, 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 long preaching, preaching, preaching. Old Testament, Old Testament. And then all of a sudden... Oh, now, now you're learning, you see. Yeah. And there comes Jesus. It's Jesus that's being revealed of the Old Testament. Amen. And this is the, the reason they do this is because the message is Jesus. In this last day, he's preaching to us by his son. And there is no other message. So what I wanted to do today, I, I felt this story, I think is very applicable. Uh, we're going we're gonna to preach Jesus from the Old Testament today. I'm not going to use a single New Testament scripture. In fact, if I, I'm going to pretend like you're a first century church. And I'm going to pretend like I am the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to preach a message without using any New Testament text unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to me. Hmm? But particularly, there's one story that's very, very powerful and very, very... Uh, it speaks so so, so directly to the work that Christ did. And it's the story of Joseph. Joseph, if you remember the story, let me just summarize. Joseph was loved by his father. He was uh, sold by his brothers into slavery because they were jealous. And then he fell down here. And he ended up in the pit. Went from bad to worse. But then at the proper time, he was exalted and became second in command of Egypt. Do you remember the story of Joseph? But Joseph, he had position, he lost position, he went down to the bottom, and then he was exalted at the proper time. It's a picture of Jesus because just like Joseph, Jesus was seated with his father in glory. And he came down, and then he went even further down to a death on the cross and was buried. But on the third day, he, raised, he rose from the dead, and he is now seated at the right hand of the father. It's the same trajectory of both Joseph and Jesus. Hallelujah. Double J. Come on somebody. Eh? Joseph and Jesus. It's a similar story. What happened to Joseph is a foreshadowing of what would happen to Jesus. Amen. And so we have, we have his story. Uh, and what happened when he was in Egypt is that the reason he was promoted is because he was in prison, but he had a gift. If you have a gift, you have something powerful. He was in prison. He had lost everything, but he had a gift. All right. His brothers had sold him into slavery because they were jealous of him. All right. But God was with him, protected him. He went down into the pit, but God was with him and he had a gift. Because of that gift, he was able to see prophetically into the future that there would be seven years of plenty. 
followed by seven years of famine. So when he came to the presence of Pharaoh, he gave them prophetic counsel. If in the next seven years we save extra grain from the harvest because there will be an abundance, that means that in the following seven years of famine, we will have food to eat. Right? So Pharaoh said, is there anybody like this man So he took him from prison to second in command of all of Egypt. He is now the prime minister. He is now the boss. He is now the man. He is now the king. Come on, somebody. He went from zero to hero just like that. Okay. So now he's prime minister. And just like he predicted, famine comes on all of Egypt. But it's so severe that it's not only in just Egypt. The whole known world comes under this famine. The famine affects Joseph's family in Canaan. And Joseph's father, Jacob, tells his brothers, I hear that there is food in Egypt. Go and bring some food or else we will die. Hmm. So Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to look for food. And they make an appointment with the prime minister. And the prime minister is who? Their brother. Who they sold as a slave to some traveling Ishmaelites. In their mind, Joseph was gone. Dead. Finished. The case of Joseph is closed. But in God's file, Joseph is alive. Joseph is doing just fine. God is with Joseph. And they come. The Bible says that they came and they prostrated themselves before Joseph. And the Bible says, Joseph recognized his brothers. But they did not recognize him. In other words, he knew something that they did not know. Hmm. So the Bible tells us that he didn't say, guys, look, it's me, Joseph. Surprise. Or as we say in French, voila. Hmm? He didn't say that. Because remember his last memory of his brother's. In fact, the Bible says that he was crying out for them to help him. And they just blocked their ears to his cry. They left him for dead. They could not care less what happened to him. Nice brothers. All right. But that's his last memory. So when he sees them, he had to test them to make sure that although they were his brothers, do they still have that kind of attitude? Are they still the brothers that I knew or have they learned a few lessons? And he sets them up with all kinds of drama. The story is long. Brilliant, if actually. I mean, he's a stage. I mean, he came with that, came up with that on the spot. That's brilliant, you know? I mean, that's a long story. Read it if you have time. Uh, But at the end of all of the testing, sending them back and forth to Canaan several times, They came before him and they began to plead before him to spare their brother. And that was the test. It's a long story. But if they would spare Benjamin, that would be the sign that everything is okay. All right? If they had a compassion for, you you, you know. Okay. But the point that I'm trying to say is that at the end of that test, when he saw how genuine and sincere that they were, the Bible says that in Genesis 45, Joseph could contain himself. No longer. And he just said, everybody out. Everybody out of my presence. And he says, just me and my brothers now. And he says, it's me. I am your brother Joseph. 
Is my father okay? And he embraced them all, weeping. And can you imagine, like it's such a, such a reunion. I mean, you almost get emotional just reading about it. And then he saw Benjamin and hugged him and they hugged and they cried. And he said, now go send for my father in Jacob. Bring him here and don't worry about your provisions from now on. Because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. Now, imagine the brothers. You know they have that thing when your jaw drops. You know? I mean, this is the jaw dislocated and literally on the floor. This is our brother. What great news. Imagine the kind of transformation that takes place in their lives now. You see, if he's just a prime minister, all right, then we are no more than slaves. You see? But if this is our brother... We are no longer slaves. We are actually joint heirs with him. Yes. If this is prime minister, we are reduced to begging for bread. We are just beggars to survive. But if this is our brother, then the best of all of Egypt is also mine. So this revelation, it's more than this is your brother Joseph. This is your life just got seriously upgraded to unemptual status. That's a new word I just made right now. Unemptual. Hmm? Praise God. I mean, their life seriously changed. But the biggest news of all is that this is our brother Joseph. You see? We need to be careful how we preach the gospel. The preaching of the gospel, sometimes it's accompanied with too much stuff. God's going to bless you. You're going to become prosperous. You're going to increase. Your dreams will come true. Yes, that's all part of the package. God is good. But the message is that Joseph is alive. When they went back to Egypt and went to their father, they did not say, we got new houses. We got No, they didn't say that. They said, Joseph is alive. We have seen him. Everything else is extra. See, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. Don't go chasing the things that's supposed to be added. Chase the kingdom. See, this story, it bears witness to the post-resurrection Jesus. The first disciples, when they saw him, just like the testimony of Joseph's brothers, the disciples went and told everybody, Jesus is alive. We have seen him. Now, if he is alive, everything changes. We are no longer slaves. We are now joint heirs with him. If he is alive, we are no longer beggars. Everything that the Father has is also mine. He has taken care of us and provided for us. But the preaching of the gospel is the preeminent message that we preach. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and we have seen him. Because he is alive, we are alive in him. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. amen. Praise God. So the, the, this story of Joseph is actually a story, a story of Jesus. It's a great celebration. Can you imagine? I mean, imagine, just if I know that we're in 2020, January something, so far removed from Egypt, ancient Egypt, and this story. But if we could just translate ourselves, can you imagine the kind of celebration? Imagine like when the father hears the news. You know, in fact, it was so good to be true, the Bible says he doesn't even believe it. 
He says it's not true. But when he saw the camel, the donkeys and the camels loaded with all the goods of Egypt, his heart was encouraged a little bit. My heart would be encouraged too. And he says, I will see my son again before I die. And the Bible says, Jacob went back to Egypt. Joseph heard, your father is arriving. He's on his way. He went and ran and met his father halfway. The Bible says they embraced each other. They wept over each other. My son who was dead is now alive. The Elilta, can you imagine? Elilta, can you imagine the Figelegele? I'm trying to paint a picture. This is good news. This is more than good news. This is amazing news. This is too good to be true news. Joseph is alive. Hallelujah. I mean, this is good news. But you know, there's something interesting. Although it is good news, and although we thank God that Joseph is alive, for the brothers, this same good news is also a little bit complicated news. So it's kind of like hallelujah, but wainegude, a little bit. It's both. We're glad that you're alive. But the fact that you are alive, it's also a reminder of the fact that the reason we thought you were dead in the first place was because of me. I, I, I threw you in the pit. I left you for dead. Now you're alive. Praise God. You understand the picture. It's a complicated celebration. You know, we're glad, but we're also scared to death because, I mean, you know, you have every right to take us out any way you wish. I mean, hanging uh, by fire, firing squad, uh, maybe just one. You, you understand. It's, 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 it's a mixed, mix. And, and you know, I can't help but think, but there's many of us who are in the kingdom of God that are kind of in the same scenario. We're glad about Jesus. We like Jesus. But every reminder of Jesus is not just a reminder of Jesus, but a reminder of how much I messed up. How much I betrayed him. You see, it was our sins that put him on the cross. So all of us are guilty as charged. All right? But sometimes the 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 the, the name of Jesus, it's a mixed message for some of us. Because we like Jesus, but we don't like ourselves. I really didn't mean to throw you in the pit like I did. I didn't really mean to cheat like I did. I know, you know, every time that name is mentioned, you go back to the file that's fresh on your memory all the time. And it complicates your worship. It complicates your Christian expression. It complicates what Jesus really means to you. And it causes you not to embrace your salvation, but actually shy away from your salvation. And what we try to do, because we still love the Lord, is we overcompensate with good behavior to try to silence the voice in our head that constantly reminds us that we were not good enough, that we did not serve up, meet up to the, the standard. We compensate bad behavior or, or a, a broken conscience with good behavior. We overcompensate. And this is a mistake and it doesn't work. Because external behavior of any kind, of any kind, whatever we are doing externally, is a direct reflection of our internal self-perception. However we see ourselves, our behavior will follow, replicate that nature. Whatever that picture is. You see? When Adam and Eve sinned in the Bible, the Bible says they ate the fruit 
they sinned, and then they said immediately their eyes were opened, and they realized that they were naked. Self-perception. And because of the self-perception, they tried to appease that self-perception by making leaves for themselves. But the leaves did not work. Because when they heard the sound of God in the garden, they went running behind the trees. The leaves did not work. There is no external behavior that we can do that can silence the inner negative self-perception. Your best external behavior will only aggravate the inner voice and make it sound even louder. Hmm? There is no, no solution. There is no behavior adjustment. There is no, if you do this, you will be all right. Because everything you do will never be good enough. All right? The Bible says that after God passed out his, his punishment on everybody, the Bible says in Genesis 3.21, God took skins and covered Adam and Eve's nakedness. I like that because it's, it's, it's two things we have to learn about this verse. Number one, God was the source of their covering, not themselves. All right? Some, number two, skins were used to cover them. That means that if skins were used, that means something had to die in order to cover this nakedness. It is our first picture, Old Testament picture, of the redemption plan of God. Hallelujah. That Jesus would come and through his death, our nakedness would be covered. Our conscience is not healed through trying to do better, act better, behave better. Never has, never will. It will not work. Our conscience is healed by what not we have done, but what he has done. Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10 that the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death. We do not cleanse our conscience. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses our conscience. And if our inner man, inner self-perception has been healed, our behavior will automatically follow. Every external behavior, every, is a reflection of an internal perception. We cannot heal that internal perception, but God can. And that's exactly what the blood has come to do. Amen? This is why. This is why the New Testament is superior to the Old Testament. In fact, the Bible says that the New Testament the new covenant, the new testament, it's a better promise. It's based on better, uh, it's a better covenant based on better promises. Hallelujah. You see, the old covenant, it's a contract between me and God. Meaning that if you do A, B, C, you will be accepted by God. God saw this and saw that it did not work. So God prepares a new covenant based on better promises. The new covenant is different because it is not a leaf covenant. Leaf meaning I do the work. It is a blood covenant. Praise the Lord. Amen. So the new covenant is not a contract between me and God. The new covenant is a contract between God the Father and God the Son. We don't enter into the negotiation. We don't have our say. We are completely separate. This is something that's done on our behalf. Without our consultation. Amen. That's why in Gethsemane Jesus was crying. He said, Father, if this cup can be passed from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. They are talking and we, uh, they are discussing and consulting about the new covenant. Hallelujah. 
on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We did not come into the equation. It's between God and his father. And at the end, his final statement was, it is finished. Finished. We didn't have any say. It's a contract, a covenant that's done between God the Father and God the Son. Do you know what our part is in the equation? I'm so glad you asked. Hmm? Our part in the equation, you know, after you pay for something at the restaurant or at the store or at wherever you go shopping more, you don't just walk out. You first take your, you bring your receipt. What does your receipt say? Your receipt says paid for in full. Amen? That's your job. If it's been paid for, you have received. That means nothing is to be added to this price. It has been paid in full. See, God the Father and God the Son finished the contract and they gave us the receipt. The receipt says, paid in full. We don't have to add a single payment to this redemption. It has been paid in full. So that if we find ourselves accusing ourselves again with this receipt, we are a contradiction walking around. You don't, you're not, you're, if you lost your receipt, it's the worst day in the world. Because that means you have to find a way to pay for this all over again. Have you ever lost a receipt? Have you ever lost your title deed? I'm looking for mine right now. Have you ever lost them? It's like difficult because if it's not, if you don't have a receipt, there's no proof of payment, which means the payment still needs to be made, which puts the pressure all on you. But the day you go under the drawer and you find your receipt, oh, hallelujah, eh? paid in full. Abit desita, abit foita, abit erkata. It has been paid in full. You don't need to add to it if you have a receipt. Hallelujah. See, what the blood of Jesus is to our conscience now is the fully paid receipt of the Father. There is nothing more that we add to this because it is a finished work that has been handed to us. I mean, are we following what I'm saying? So it's a blessing to be in the new covenant because the new covenant comes with this receipt. A receipt that was not available in the old covenant. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And in this new covenant, there is peace. There is a sense of confidence. You don't get nervous. You don't get worried. In your conscience, you are healed. Because that sin has been paid for and the receipt is in your, is in your hand. Amen? Amen? Actually, what we do do is we, we don't fight to pay we fight to accept what has been done. That's where the fight is. It's a fight of faith. Because we, we enter by faith. Like if you have a receipt and you don't believe that it's a true receipt, then you're in trouble. So your, your, your faith is tied to the, the, the fact that this is a legal binding receipt that it works. Amen? And in the same thing, the blood of Jesus on our behalf, our only work now is to be convinced that this blood really works. That I am truly healed. That I am truly free. That my sin is truly paid for. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, it puts it like this. God says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Notice the language. Come, God says, let us reason together. The fight is in the reasoning. Because the sins from scarlet to snow, it's not our work. It's his work. But our, the, 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 the portion that is left to us is the reasoning. Reason with me. 
Reason with me, says God. I know there is sin. But now that I am invited to the party, eh, these sins have become white as snow. Hallelujah. Reason. Everybody say reason. reason. This reason is not a small thing. It is actually a very big thing because without that reason, we are left to our own devices. Do you know the biggest weapon that the enemy throws against us, the biggest one that he uses, and he's very effective at it, is accusation. Accusation is not accusation without evidence, and that's what makes things complicated. As soon as he says, yes, I know you're in church worshiping, but don't you remember 1983? <laughs> and immediately you were worshiping, but then 1983 comes. <laughs> All right, accusation. And the accusation is based on evidence. We all know what happened in 1983. <laughs> all right? So now our worship is interrupted. Our relationship with ourselves is interrupted. And because our, our relationship with ourselves is corrupted, now our relationship with God is also corrupted. We cannot have relationship with God unless we first have relationship with ourselves. And that's why the, the, the enemy comes to attack us. His target. I know there's witchcraft, juju, stuff flying in the air. You know, we go after all that stuff in the church. And that's true. We do go out of, after that stuff. But his primary target is accusation to the mind. Remember what you did, where you were, how it was, how ugly were. You threw him in the pit. Stuck. Accusation. In fact, Satan means accuser. Now, this is the bad news, that he is the accuser and he has evidence. But the good news is hmm, that the blood of Jesus also has a target. The blood of Jesus goes to the same place that the accusation goes. Before the blood was shed, there was no defense against accusation. So we had to resort to behavior to adjust our, 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 our situation. But now the blood comes and it speaks a better word. So when this blood comes, it attacks the same thing, the very thing that the enemy has been attacking. That's why Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Now have come the kingdom and the power and the dominion of our Lord and of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night, has been hurled down. And it says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Hallelujah. That blood of the Lamb combined with the word of our testimony, it's our receipt. And it silences the accusation of the enemy. If you have a receipt, whatever he throws at you, all you have to do is show your receipt to show, I know it's true and I know you have evidence, but I also have paid for in full. Praise the Lord. That's why the gospel is good news. We have, no, we have no defense against the enemy's accusation until that blood came to our life. The, the blood of Jesus cleansing our conscience, it's something that we do for ourselves. The blood of Jesus, God offers it to us, offers it to all, all, all of humanity. He offers his blood. And he pronounces unto us forgiveness of sins. But just because he's pronounced it does not mean we have received it. It's like when you buy something, like if I, let's say if I'm dirty and I need some soap. I'm just as an example, don't look at me like that. All right? But I'll go to the store and I'll take the soap. It has been paid for, it is mine. That's the best that the store can do. Huh? 
they don't take it beyond they just provide me with the goods but to take that soap and apply it to myself that's nobody's responsibility but myself the blood of Jesus has been provided but to cleanse my conscience it is my own responsibility it is what I do with the blood for myself that's where the power is that's why some of us are missing a few chinks in our armor because we love Jesus and we love the blood but we have not applied it yet we've just got it from the store the power begins when we take that blood see that's why it says that we overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony applying what the blood has done my job my responsibility that is how I overcome the accusation the attack is personal the cleansing of the conscience is personal the confession of the blood is also personal Hallelujah. All of us have evidence. All of us guilty as charged. But the blood has made provision. My question today, today, I know you have your bar of soap. My question today is, have you washed? Some of you are still smelling bad because you have it in your hand, but you have not applied it to your body. Have you washed? Have you washed your conscience from the acts that lead to death? Have you taken the blood of Jesus and said, yes, I was a sinner. Yes, I was accused. But now the blood has come. And now I have a receipt. All of my sins are paid in full. And I confess what the blood has said. Amen. Amen. What a waste it is to go to the store. Take the soap and put it on the shelf like a decoration with all your other decorations in your house. You have the blood, <laughs> but you have not applied the blood. May the Lord help us today to apply the blood. Because failure to apply the blood makes us confusing looking believers. Because whatever external behavior is displayed is directly connected to an internal perception of self. Adam and, I, Adam and Eve's eyes were open to their nakedness. God provided blood. He covered that stuff with skins. Amen? Amen, amen? Can we say amen? amen. Say thank God for my receipt. Hallelujah. Now there's this one piece of the story that I have to talk about because I think this is what I feel the message is for today. And I'm going to preach the, the devil is a liar. I'm going to preach this and then I'm going to close. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 15. Um, the Bible says that after Jacob and his, his sons came to Egypt to be with Joseph. We're going back to Joseph. It says that Jacob lived in Egypt for 17 years. How many years? 17. That means the brothers, they also lived in Egypt for how many years? 17. Very good, because they all lived together. Okay. At the end of 17 years, Jacob, the father died okay we pick up the story in verse number 15 genesis 50 and verse number 15 when joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead they said what if joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him so they sent word to joseph saying your father left these instructions before he died this is what you are to say to joseph i ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. 
Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. They, uh, when, their message, when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the thing that I found interesting about this story. Jacob and his brothers had been living 17 years with Joseph. They, they were delivered from the famine. They were part of Joseph's family. Everything that jo Joseph had was theirs. They have food. Hallelujah. They live in the best of the land. The, the Pharaoh was so happy. He gave them Goshen. Goshen was Goshen. Hmm? All right? I mean, they had the best view, the best of everything, eating every day. They don't have movies or TV or phones to watch games. What, what, what do you do? I guess Goshen had swimming pools. I'm sure they had swimming pools. I mean, they, they're living in the blessing. But for 17 years, they were living with this conflicting mental process of living in the provision. 17 years, but also confused as to who Joseph really was. They were enjoying the blessing, but a little bit nervous. Because they still know what they did all those years ago. So every day is part blessing, but part step back. That I did do that, didn't I? And then we go, we praise God for Joseph. But wait a minute. I know that that day was a terrible day. I really didn't mean to do it. My brothers forced me to do it. I'm in Goshen, but not really. So they were there in the blessing, but they were not enjoying the blessing. You know what? The darkest, most complicated, ugly place to be is to be in the blessing, but not able to enjoy the blessing. To be in the place of provision, but not understand who you are in light of this place. You're constantly hitting yourself with, I'm really enjoying this, but I really don't deserve this. I'm on, a, I'm on the clock. Pretty soon my time is going to run out and my punishment will be doled out to me. You understand the conflict? So when the father dies, 17 years in the kingdom. See, there's believers who've been in the kingdom a long time. You've been children of God for a long time. You've come to Beza since the beginning. Hallelujah. You have your seat reserved. You're in the place. But every now and then, it's hard to fully enjoy where you are. Because what you did in the past, who you are. And this message is for somebody today. It comes with you. You take it with you everywhere you go. And so they came to Joseph with this plea deal. Our father said, you have to forgive us. And the Bible says, when Joseph, this is how far away they were from the heart of Joseph. The Bible says, when Joseph heard what the brother said, he wept. And while he's weeping, look at the picture. While he's weeping, the brothers fall on their face. We are your slaves. He's weeping. It's like they missed paths completely. Joseph was over here. They thought Joseph was over here. Why did they think Joseph was over there? Because in their mind, 
They could not accept themselves. And because they could not see themselves properly, they could not see Joseph properly. Joseph was weeping. They did not understand the compassion. They did not understand that this was an act of God. They did not understand the Father's heart. They did not understand how much the love of God had been demonstrated in this forgiving act. God was not hold, uh, Joseph was not holding over to wait to punish them one day. His heart for 17 years was, I love you, I love you, I love you. Their mind was, I'm a slave, I'm a slave, I'm a slave. They crossed paths completely. And the devil has played this number on somebody today. And the message is for you. Hallelujah. In fact, he didn't even deny the sin. Joseph says, I know you meant this for evil. You did it. Fine. I know. But God meant this for good. Don't you worry anymore. I will take care of you for the rest of your life. As long as I am alive, you and your children will be provided for. Don't have this mental block when you come into my presence. Receive the love that I have for you. Receive the compassion. And some of you, you have a complicated relationship with Jesus because you are in the kingdom and have been in the kingdom for 17 years and maybe even more. But you fail to understand and capture the heart of the Father. You fail to understand how great his love, his compassion is for you. A new word had to be created to show the love that your father has for you. Don't bring that love down to a slave level. You are always, is this just like what the father, the prodigal's father said to the older son? My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You are not a slave. You never have been a slave in my book. But you say, yes, pastor, that's a good message. But I did this, and I did this, and I did this. You know what? I will not deny it. You did that. It is true. But the message today to you is, but God has done this, and has done this, and has done this. And because of what he has done, nothing of your own, you can stand free in the presence of God. His love for you is that great. His covenant for you is that great. Today, you will take your receipt with you and go out with confidence. You will no longer be nervous in Goshen. The enemy has set up camp in the middle of the house of God, whispering thoughts to God's people. You will no longer be nervous in Goshen. You will walk in confidence. You will walk in the love. You will walk in the power and the confidence of the ch children of God. You are not slaves. You are no longer slaves. You are children of God. How great the Father has bestowed his love on us. That we should be called the children of God. Amen? Amen? I think the reason why maybe, I don't know, I know I'm trying to make this tie into an Africa Rise message because this is Vision Month and Africa Rise message. But I think the theme this year is Arise and Act. And I think what, I, I think what maybe the Spirit of God is telling us is we can arise and act from two platforms. We can arise and act as guilt-ridden Christians that have to do good to earn our acceptance before God. And that's where many, without knowing it, find themselves in. Oh, I'm a Christian. I need to do A, B, C. That's the devil's language. We don't do things to get our acceptance from God. We do good things because we have been accepted by God. 
our behavior is a direct reflection of our internal self-perception. The day that perception becomes healed, our behavior is automatically healed. Amen. Amen. So when we go to arise and act, hallelujah, we go in the blessing of God. We are confident in Goshen. We are confident in Africa. We are confident in the world. God's blessing comes because God agrees with his own receipt. Amen. I would like everybody to stand. I don't know who this word is for. But while I was preparing, I just felt a weight of somebody who was completely missing the signals of the Father. Completely missing the message of Jesus. God loves you today more than you will ever know. He knows exactly what you did and he still loves you. He knows exactly what he did and he paid the price. All he wants you to do is take your receipt today. Amen. There is no condemnation. What Joseph did was his, with his brothers that he reasoned with them. He says, come let's reason together. You did that. But God did this. In Jesus' name, Father God, we receive your word today. In Jesus' name, Father God, we receive your healing today. In our self-perception. Now, let's all make this personal. Let's just say, today, I overcome every accusation of the accuser. Not by my own strength, but by the blood of Jesus. And by the word of my testimony. I declare... I am free. I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.